Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Huge topic. Stay with us. We have no idea where it's going to take us. It could get a little hairy, but you know, take out your scissors, get out your razors. I like that you said that the energy shifts because that's really what we're about to talk about in many different ways is different ways of looking at energy. And um, yeah, you're right. When we start talking and decide where we're going after our research and find out we have a hundred different paths to walk on, you never know what's going to come out in the next 50 minutes. <laughs> this is true. You know, in yoga, there's this kind of this model, this paradigm of stira and sukha. And stira is is effort, it's structure, it's boundaried. Sukha is ease and flow and not as boundaried. And so you see how this could easily fit into the model of yin and yang. It could fit into masculine, feminine. It fits into all of that. And I have always lived a fairly sukha-heavy existence. Yeah, y'all get to it later. You know, I've just kind of give myself permission a lot to kind of, you know, extend the boundaries if there are any. And so my work has been to build some stira, some actual energy, which could be referred to as male energy, that outward energy that gets shit done. You know, in this, they're saying the feminine energy allows us to fully be and the masculine energy allows us to fully do. And so why would we choose one over the other? But our natural rhythms and energies will lend themselves maybe more distinctly to one over the other, which, you know, in Finding Balance, you have said it's not about equality of energies, but balancing them out. And so this should be a very interesting conversation, a very big conversation, as it's already a continuation of last (laughs) week's episode, but really could turn into something bigger. Yeah. And you said this equality versus balance. And every time I hear about that, I also say that I also think, you know, it's not necessarily always equality. You know, we're looking to be equal, but there's a difference between energies and it doesn't make one better or worse. It doesn't make it good or bad. It doesn't mean that they have to always be in complete balance and equality, but to accept that there's differences between the light and the shadows or the good and the bad or the way that we label all of these different things as if they're separate rather than complementary. That comes into so much of what we talk about. And, you know, this idea of equality and balance, you know, the word justice comes up for me sometimes that we have to kind of see what it is the ener- and feel the energies we're working with so that we can come into balance. And so often, you know, if you walk into your house and you have four four-leggeds like I do, you become nose blind. You know, we walk in, I don't know if a stranger's going to walk in and go, oh my God, you must have animals in here because I don't smell them anymore. And in the same way that that pile of crap that's been on the floor for three years that I have easily begun to navigate around, I no longer see that pile. So it it stands to reason that the energies that we work with that no longer serve us may also live in blind spots, may also no longer be acknowledged, seen, or heard. And so that really is the first step. And we are talking about divine feminine. Hi, welcome, everyone. You know, we're (laughs) anecdotal anatomy. (laughs) Talking about the divine, (laughs) which probably doesn't surprise any of our listeners because we have a habit of just diving right in. (laughs) So we are extroverted introverts. You know, we're not interested in the banter, although, you know, banter has its place. But that comes organically, you know, if we just want to talk about stuff. I, I, I just have to, I, real quick, this is a cute story. So I'm, I think it's a cute story. 
I'm driving my kids to something and we are in a carpool. So I picked up one of my friend's kids who and their friends to come in the carpool and we're driving along and we're on a long stretch of road and the sun is setting in front of us. And I say to the kids, because they're still young enough that they will listen to me-ish. So I said, oh my God, you guys, look, look how beautiful that sunset is. It's right before us. It looks like we're driving into the fiery heat of the sun. And this little voice, my friend's kid says in the back, from the back seat, she says, why are we talking about stuff? And like, that's all she said. And we all laughed and it was kind of funny, but it was profound too. You know, the idea that, you know, being kids in a car, typically we put on music or, you know, we never had video in our cars, but kids, we want to distract them. We want to talk about the easy things. But when you talk about a metaphor or something as poetic as driving into the rays of the sun, all of a sudden it takes their little minds. I shouldn't say their little minds, their expansive minds, their receptive minds, their minds that are mired in feminine in energy at this point in their lives, it takes them to another place where it might be uncomfortable. You know, we don't usually talk about stuff. Unless you're you and I, and we talk about a lot of stuff. Yes, we do. But when you, yes, when you shared that story, it is a great story. And it reminded me of how much I loved seeing sunset. And occasionally, I'll get up early enough to see the sunrise too, but that's not quite as often, but the two balancing one another. And when you mentioned driving into the sunset and pointing out how gorgeous and beautiful it is to watch the sunset and driving into those fiery rays, I also remember that often when I am enjoying a sunset or occasionally a sunrise, to take the opportunity to turn and look in the other direction. Because sometimes at that time when the sun is setting, when I just turn and shift my direction and look in the opposite. The sky is painted with pinks and blues and purples. And if we happen to have a beautiful cloudy day, uh, that really kind of pops out. And if the sunset, if we're lucky enough to have the sunset after a rain and the sun comes back out and we turn in the opposite direction, that's when we are gifted with the rainbows. So you know, we have the the thing that captures our attention, this really great thing. But it's often balanced by another really beautiful transformational thing, just by shifting and looking in the other direction. Which is a feminine quality to be receptive and flexible in that way. You know, my mother, you, I grew up hearing her say, sometimes the view is behind you. Sometimes the view is behind you. And when we were in the Czech Republic, we were riding our bikes. We did a back roads bike trip. And that was, I think, one of the first times I heard her say that. And I remember turning around and going, thanks, mom. Thanks for, you know, having me pause in this moment. And the rainbow gift you just brought up, and I'm sure I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but when Brian, when my husband uh, proposed to me, we were in Central Park. It was a gray day. He had all these really fun things planned. And after he gave me the ring in Shakespeare Garden, it was so beautiful above like where the marionette little playhouse is. Just the whole thing was so beautiful in the Shakespeare Garden. But anyway, so we're looking and it's perfect conditions. The causes and conditions for a rainbow are there. They're right in front of us. There was rain. There's sun hiding behind clouds. So we are scrutinizing the sky. We are just looking so fiercely like this male energy, this outward energy that is going to find that fucking rainbow because there has to be one. But then my mother's voice, sometimes the view is behind you. I turned my whole body around to see an entire double rainbow from end to end and full arc in the middle. There it was. There was no scrutiny necessary. There was no outward journey required. All I needed to do was say, oh, and like you shift perspective, turn around. Sometimes the view is behind you. So there it was. And I think this speaks to the effort, the stira and the sukha, the balance that we give to certain moments. You know, if we have heard something like that or we're lucky enough to have female mentors, maybe male mentors with a lot of female energy, if we're lucky enough to have those people who can guide us, guide our consciousness to the idea that sometimes we have to shift. And then we allow our feminine energy to guide the idea that, oh, let me shift. Then we're gifted with this, this external view that came from within. Nice balance. It is a beautiful balance to really blend our inside world and our outside world. 
And I think I love to use nature. I love to use the forest. I love to use my walks outside as my guide, as the thing to show me maybe what I need to know in any, if any given day. And if you, anybody, everybody knows that just like you're saying with the sunset and changing your perspective and your beautiful explanation of the different qualities that were in the park all at the same time, the clouds, the sun, the rainbow, everything showed up on uh, this amazing day. But a lot of times in when I was researching for our discussion today and looking at the difference between light and shadow, there were just so many different ways to look at it. Truth and falsity, reality and the representation, good and evil, or balancing dualities. There's just so many inroads that I think this episode, you know, you might want to get a cup of coffee. It might be two, yeah. three, four hours, <laughs> or, or maybe it'll become an entire season. Who knows? Who knows? Because, you know, there's just so much to unpack here. And this idea of shadow and light, you know, I'm sitting out in my backyard and you can see the dappled sunshine dancing across the, the uh, you know, the eaves of the house and over the garden. And, you know, there's a clear cooperation. There's a clear natural balance that comes in, the shadow and light. But what I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about was, you know, we, we talk about these binary choices, you know, the yin, the yang, the, the good, the evil, all of the dark versus the light. We have, I think, culturally embedded within us ideas of what shadow means. You know, I talk a lot about doing shadow work, and it is some of the most meaningful and growth-inspiring work that I've been able to do. And the first thing I had to do is be able to recognize my reflection in the outer world and also not judge it as good or bad, as, you know, this villain or hero kind of thing. So in this, in one article that both Therese and I have been looking at, they list these dark versus light feminine energies. And when I first read them, I laughed out loud. I may even have snorted or snarfed because the ones that they classify as dark feminine energy, I see as magical, I see as mysterious. And it, it is a reminder that we fear the things we don't understand or the things that we don't embody. And so, for example, the light feminine energy, which seemed to coincide uh, quite a bit with the upper chakras from the heart to the head, but they're nurturing, intuitive, compassionate, receptive, forgiving, empathetic, feeling, emotional, graceful, and pure. These are all really highly evolved, very sort of upper chakra manifestations of energy. The dark feminine energy traits, please feel free to laugh along with me because I find these quite comical that these are considered dark. Maybe it's an, an invitation to re-examine what my definition of dark means because maybe I'm still assigning it a negative, a negative um, quality. So they talk about being passionate, creative, seductive, authentic, fearless, powerful. They bring alchemy, magnetic, fierce, transformational, all of the things which I kind of feel like some of them are this outward doingness, which might have some male energy involved, but this is the dark feminine energy traits and it just blows my mind. So I'm thinking, you know, they're, it broke down to the lower chakras like Svaristana and Muladhara and Manipura, the earth, the water, the fire, like these are the things that we can really tangibly work with as we move up to some divine connection. But we're talking about divine feminine energy. And so this was, you know, just one thing I started doodling on the side because I, I do print things out and I doodled Sushumna, the central channel with Ida and Pingala, the side channels crossing over and trying to, to feel as I was drawing it, where the energies felt aligned with the light and dark feminine. Really interesting. I have no conclusions or things to offer, but I'm very curious you know, what the listeners, what you guys are thinking, does this feel dark to you? And, you know, how do you define dark? When I think of dark, and I had the same thing, I, I kept reading, and dark seemed to be represented more often than not as being a negative. But when I first heard dark, I thought night and the moon and a time to rest and cuddle up under my blanket, to be able to be at home in a place where I'm nurtured and nourished and feel safe. Not that I don't feel safe outside in the day at, at, during the light, but it didn't feel bad or negative. 
it felt kind of nurturing and nourishing and coming in at the end of the day after being out working or hiking or whatever it is that we do during the day to come back into our home in our place, in our place, specifically our place at our home, because it's night and the ability to step outside at night and still see the dabbles of light looking up at the constellations and the stars and the places where the light still shines through that veil of darkness at night to remind us that they both coexist together. And while I was reading, I came across the words polarity and duality. And I found it really interesting in how they talked about how it was shared with me that polarity means that there's a division of the energies. And that isn't really what we're talking about. When I read about duality, it talked more about the integration of energies. And the article even went on to say that polarity is much more of an individual energy. It's like when you take one thing and look at it only, where duality is the collective. It's bringing it all together. It's knowing that day can't exist without night, light can't exist without shadow. Masculine and feminine energies, they coexist inside each and every one of us. And we look for the integration of the two with a little bit of each in the others. And it wasn't in today's or this week's preparation, but I remember somewhere from one of my teachers, we were talking about yin and yang. And we all know that they're two separate. One is black, one is dark, one is white. We have a little circle of the opposite within each of them. But the point that the teacher made was nobody really pays attention much to the line that connects the two that there's actually a third component, uh, actually a fifth component, because we've got the dark with a little light, the light with a little dark. But then there's that connecting space that shows us that neither one is separate, that they touch each other intimately. That's beautiful. And, you know, the word polarized came up when I was looking also, but it was more, I'm holding up a book right now for those who can't see, but this is The Mists of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley. I don't know much about her story as an author, but her book was transformational in my life. And so I thought, oh, you know, I'm sure there's something about, you know, Avalon and the Mists of Avalon and this whole divine feminine thing. And in this one article, they quote from a, a source they call The Light Circle. I have no more information about the light circle. So I'm just going to read a little bit. I I have to read a little bit before the thing that actually says what I want to say in order to, you know, build up to it. But she's from the light says, as you are aware, decisions come with multiple possible outcomes. When you take a decision, you live out the version of your future determined by the choice you made, whilst somewhere other versions of you live out the alternative outcomes. So it was with Avalon. Given the spiritual nature of the inhabitants, the high priestess at the time took the decision to split her world from the emerging reality of the masculine-based God archetype. So you talked about the division, polarization about dividing, and this is what she does in the story. She kind of um, separates from what is coming in now in Excalibur, the movie Excalibur. They talk about this is now a time for men as Merlin is fading away. So it's sort of moving from the magic of the feminine mystique into like this more patriarchal, masculine energy, religious world that is a different tone. So going back, she says, she felt her order of the divine feminine that based its workings on the threefold mother, goddess of virgin, mother and wise woman, that could be maiden, mother and wise woman, could not at the time function alongside the incoming energy. Too much. She took a preemptive decision to split the dimensions as the, and they were removed in bodily form. So this was unusual energy work. I'm still quoting. An old kind of magic that tapped into the energy of the earth, hello, the earth, and was born out of love, love of the goddess and love of the people she chose to save. It was powerful in its manifestation and has rippled down the centuries. Nowhere has the ripple been more felt strongly than in Glastonbury, which now I have to go to because that is where the Isle of Avalon used to reside in physical glory. 
So there's just a little bit more. I have hearts written all over this article, but this gets into the whole polarization. In this time of ascension, which is the time we're talking about, the earth is moving away from a polarized masculine-based divinity and into the consciousness of the divine feminine and the importance of the melding of the two into an equal and balanced unity. Avalon held the manifestation of this unity by embodying the energy of the triple mother goddess and working alongside the Druids as representatives of the divine masculine, her eternal partner. So we can't really talk about this without at least touching onto the masculine, divine masculine, working together, but always reveling in their sacred differences. These two opposite halves of the same coin came to an understanding that has now been lost an understanding of the innate power that lies in a true manifestation of perfectly balanced masculine and feminine energies, which goes back to the original point of balancing rather than trying to find, you know, equality necessarily. I, I, that was long, I know. I didn't give any no. indication that I was done. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, whatever we're looking at, we can find evidence of this divine feminine, but then also evidence of the opposite and everything in between. Yeah. And when we are, acknowledge all of the different energies, regardless of label, masculine, feminine, whether we're in some articles, they're labeling them as positive and negative, good and bad. Really, the, the ability to step back and embrace all of them, to embody who we are, to be willing to step into both our highest quality and the one that maybe we don't really think is our best way of expression or something that no longer serves, that at some point in our life, some of our qualities were extremely important and we really dove into them because we needed them in all of the different times of our life. There's a much different energy for the maiden than, than there is for the crone, right? N neither one nor bad, but maybe the impetuousness of the maiden is no longer used as the crone. It's replaced with intuition. So we're at each of our different stages. We're looking to embody the highest expression of the feminine energy at this very moment, which is not also is not separate because some days, even as the crone, it feels really, really great to embody the energy of the maiden and be fun and impetuous and, you know, maybe a little bit wild and step outside of doing everything that you're supposed to do and break a few rules. Yeah, man. And while we're here, I had written down some of the qualities that are representative of these these three, the the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And they're they're obvious. I mean, there's nothing here that's going to be like, oh my God, I never knew that. Oh my, I'm having aha moments out the wazoo. But just to kind of keep it in the context and flow of this conversation. And I'll Okay, so the maiden brings enchantment, inception, expansion, new beginnings, birthing, youth, youthfulness, and youthful enthusiasm, and is represented by the waxing moon. The mother, she represents ripeness, fertility, sexuality, fulfillment, stability, power, and she's represented by the full moon. Then we get to the crone. Hello, Teresa and I. We are representing the crones, but we are also everything. Oh, crones. Once, Go every, crones. Every year you age, you are every age you've ever been. So the crone, and that is my wisdom. <laughs> um, so the crone brings wisdom, repose, death, endings, and is represented by the waning moon. And so I find that this is, you know, again, this part of the cycles, the cycles of the moon, the cycles that we bring. I'm reading a lot about the menstrual cycle, which I haven't experienced in over five years. So, you know, that's no longer part of my divine feminine current experience, but it certainly, you know, is part of, if I'm every age at this age, I certainly remember <laughs> and have embodied those years. But there's also in Hinduism, the, the, the deities. And so they call the Tridevi, Sarasvati, Lakshmi, and Kali, sort of, you know, line up with these. But then in another reading, I saw Lakshmi, Durga, and Sarasvati in different order. But I mean, basically, they don't, they, they don't overlay perfectly, but energetically, there's certainly conversations that can be had that draw them together. And you make a good point that we have certain chronologic times in our life where we are maybe embody one of those energies more fully. But they never actually leave. 
in any given day, we could have experiences of all of the qualities that you have written down and shared with us. Just because I happen to chronologically be in crone and also emotionally, right? We gain a certain amount of wisdom the more times we go around the sun, the more times hopefully, that we, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yes. that we go in and out of uh, different times and different periods of our life. We've adopted different roles. And, you know, you'd mentioned like mothering and, and uh, nurturing and nourishing, which is not necessarily reserved for people who have had children. There's a nurturing, nourishing quality to all of us. And, you know, the thing about the goddesses and all of these energies is the transition I made in my head when we mentioned the names, whether it's Lakshmi or we're using a word like crone, regardless of how we describe or, or the term we use for the energy, it's still an energy, not a physical person or deity. And that was a big, you, you mentioned, are we all having aha moments? I am having an aha moment. <laughs> um, no, you might, absolutely. But maybe in, in an extrapolated aha moment. Yes. But what, what was read, you know, you know. <laughs> yes. It wasn't uh, today's aha moment, but when it was an aha moment, it just made it so much more simple yeah. to adopt the energy, to work with the energy and to recognize that if I want to magnify a certain energy or quality in myself, there are practices and ways to be able to bring forth that part of my person, to be able to go back to the little girl or, you know, the maiden with the wisdom of the crone or the energy of the mother to be able to nurture and nourish maybe any traumas that she may have had at the time that she was a mate. Or the opposite is also true, to just be carefree and go out and run around and play and have a good time. Absolutely. And you know, it's so funny. This is your PSA for the day, because I think this is something that also lives in our blind spot, but or our nose blind, our actual blind spots. But we say it all the time. We just don't always apply it to every given situation. That And this is the PSA. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. And so regardless of where we're going, we can, we're gathering energy as we go. We're gathering experiences and all of the things that can be related to an energetic model, you know, memories that you've made, experiences that you've gone through, traumas, joys, all of those things are part of your energetic cycle. And so even though we are now in our, our phase of crone, we have already gathered our maiden and our mother and they don't leave us. That's still energy, it's still energy that has neither been created nor destroyed, just <laughs> gathered, I guess, from some big pool of energy somewhere that <laughs> has already been. But then don't get me started because now I'm thinking beginningless time, who created energy to begin with. You know, ay, 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 get me out of here. <laughs> this is, these are the rabbit holes, people. These are the rabbit holes. Yeah. When I was uh, teaching in massage school, a student was struggling. And, you know, the student was really having a hard time understanding anatomy. She would have done well to have had some foundational classes before uh, she came to massage school. She came in without a foundational knowledge that really would have empowered her to do extremely well in the program. And she was really, really struggling. And I really didn't know what to do. Honestly, although I embody qualities of the teacher, I'm a, I was a massage therapist who was given the role of teacher and mentor for new students coming into the program. And I found one of my wisdom mentors, uh, who in that time, she wasn't a crone yet, but she had a whole lot more experience teaching than I did. And I said, I just don't, I really don't know what to do. I can't see how I can possibly get her to the place of passing. No matter how much I mentor, no matter how much time we set together, it really would benefit her to go backward a little bit, to come forward and to really embody this knowledge. And she took me aside and she said, you know, Sometimes we think what we're here to teach 
is the anatomy that's in the lesson plan for this class. She said, but as we gain more wisdom, we can see that maybe the thing that we are here to teach this person, this young woman who is struggling, is the ability to be able to finish something, to be either able to gather wisdom, to be able to look at her strong points and those that she still needs work with, consider them, accept them, and do what needs to be done next to be able to get to her her end goal. So she, in one little sentence, she reminded me that we have to be willing to let go of what doesn't serve, but we also have to be willing to look at those parts of us that may not have evolved to the place we need for them to be today. That it is okay. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just the willingness to create the space for both our highest qualities and the ones that we still need to view, work on, and embody those as well. So you went to a female mentor who mentored you how to mentor this female student. So it's so funny. You told the story. I heard every word that you said. But as you were telling it, there was a picture in my mind of, did you see that that gif, gif, jif, whatever the fuck you call it, of the women lifting each other up? And that just kept coming back down. And all you see are the women lifting each other up and up and up. And that's what your mentor did for you. And that's what you did in turn for the student who, regardless of what academics she walked away with, that one didn't even interest me as part of the story. The part of the story that interests me is a lineage of feminine energy helping women rise. And so one of the things that I had sort of was thinking about during all of this, and I'm going to hold up another book, is my good friend Eliza Van Court. Eliza Van Court's book, A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space, Stand Tall, Raise Your Voice, and Be Heard. I'm saying the title. Her name is Eliza Van Court. Buy this book. She talks about a lot of things, a lot of things that coincide very, very specifically to the conversation we're having. She also, she talks about intersectionality in a wise and beautiful way that I, I am not going to, to get into today because we just have too many other things to talk about. But read this book. One of the things that came up, and the reason I'm bringing it up here, which it may not even have come up in the conversation if it hadn't come up, but this idea of mentorship. And one of the things that she addresses in her book is something she calls the anti-mentor. I don't want to get into a whole discussion about it, but I know when I read her words about it, I felt something very deep in my core. I felt a reaction physically in my body that was both light and dark. It was light in the memory of the female mentorship that I've had in my life from my mother and other crones and other mothers and other maidens. I am now at a point as a crone that I can be mentored by a maiden. Like that's what wisdom allows is for this cycle of energy to recognize where it is and not hold on so tight to who I think I am. But I also felt a response to this anti-mentor for the times I have been that to someone that I care about. And basically it's just you know, on the surface, you're a supporter. You're their biggest cheerleader. You're the person who is there to help them. But in reality, there's criticism and there is feeding um, smallness rather than largeness. And I'm not proud of it. But when I read that, I could see where there were times where it wasn't deliberate. It wasn't that I went out and I thought, I'm going to tear this fucker down. But it was a moment where I was triggered from my own stuff. And so my reactions to someone that I love and you know, I'm not going to get into any specifics. I know I say that a lot on this podcast. I'm not going to name names. But I, I know that I'm feeling that about someone when I leave a social situation and I don't like who I was in that situation. And that is usually the indicator that I have said or done something to knock someone down or use my words as weapons or do something that has belittled rather than, you know, have raised up. And so that's work that I'm doing actively because no matter what my triggers are, no matter who I think I am in this world, I don't have the right to do that to another person. My obligation is to help lift up. What I shared and what really resonated with me while you were talking is identification first of also. I think all of us can identify with that story of the time that we show up is not our best self. And we know that, it, that to be true, when we walk away from an encounter feeling awful, that, 
you know, we feel awful and, and that feeling stays with us. And I've begun in the reading and the prep that we've done, when I feel that way, to say to myself, well, Teresa, meet your shadow, right? Because sometimes all of these different archetypes have really amazing qualities. And, and that's the highest expression of the energy that we are working toward. But that doesn't mean that it can't get out of balance. That, um, you know, there was a movie and I don't remember what it was, but I remember that the line in it was a surgeon saying, but I am God. And just be the healer being so full of himself and thinking that, he, and it happened to be male, I'm not making it a male thing, but the healer being so full of their energy and, and their good qualities, knowing it with confidence that I'm really, really good at what I do, but at the same time, making it be so big that it is out of control. And that's sometimes how I feel when I, when I have to say, Teresa, meet your shadow, because my best qualities can sometimes turn into me being the person who shows up awful to the situation instead of great to the situation. And the word you use, though, uh, would you say acknowledgement or awareness, identification is really important because sometimes we feel shitty because someone treated us shitty. And it's not my actions that it's just like, oh, my God, am I that crappy? Am I that stupid? Am I that, you know, out of touch? Am I that whatever it was that came up from my anti-mentors or the people in my life who, you know, I've got to say, hmm, why do I feel bad? So the identification with the why it's when the why is because I didn't like myself in that situation. That is why I feel crappy. That is when I know that the shadow is there to say, hey, remember me? I haven't yeah. left you yet. You are evolving, but you are not completely evolved. If I haven't said it yet, I am not enlightened. You know, we have these casual conversations from things that that light us up, that turn us on, that spark our curiosity, that we want to dive deeper in and we want to hear other stories because we can't connect our individual stories to the collective without collecting the stories, without having the conversations, without getting out into the world and, you know, hearing what's going on. And so part of what our research does, at least for me, and I know I, I am going to fill in for after Teresa's because too, is that... It allows us to, or allows me to go onto the, the interwebs and have conversations, to, to ask the internet a question and to have it bring back a laundry list of stories that I get to wade through and see, and then hopefully have actual real conversations with living humans. Yeah, that is one of the major gifts I have received for us deciding to do this podcast was the accountability to research, to read, to expand my knowledge, to find a subject like shadow work. And, you know, that has so many different layers that can, you know, come into different places. But to be able to look at the archetypes of the feminine energy, identify them, identify with them, in their most positive expression and in the part of the expression that I'm like, oof, that one, yeah, I am the teacher. But that doesn't mean that I have to lecture people <laughs> about what I know. I can step back and express it in the highest form of the energy, leaving space and for people to come to their own conclusion, sometimes the best teacher knows just when to shut up and not say anything at all and let people have their own experience. So I'm really grateful in the, in the different subjects that we choose to share because it is such a learn, personal learning journey for me. And at the same time, we have these conversations publicly but you and I have a lot of prep conversations privately in which we get to learn from each other's wisdom in every expression of the archetype that we're talking about. Because I will read and prepare, but yet when you and I sit down to discuss it, I still see it from a completely different lens than anything I have seen in my research. So interesting. You know, you talked about 
the the best or the highest version, the highest energy. And that got me thinking that last week when we started this conversation, we brought superheroes into it. We brought Wonder Woman and Batgirl and, you know, Catwoman and all of... Uh, Catwoman was actually a villain, <laughs> I have to say, but, you know, she's a superhero to me. But anyway, so this week in the readings, I didn't come across superheroes, but I came across fairy tales. So different from the the archetype of the superwoman, we deal with the archetype of the big bad witch. And I know we've talked about the Wicked Witch of the West and the East and how Wicked, the musical, retold and rewrote that story of someone who was seen for years and years and years through the Wizard of Oz story as being bad. Like there was no good. It was, you know, you put water on her, she melted. She was, you know, all fire and brimstone. But then we retell the story and we are able to have empathy. We're able to see how she got there. Going back to the King Arthur legend, because we brought up the Mists of Avalon, like Morgan Le Fay, who is uh, Arthur's half-sister, there's so many different tellings of the story. We could get lost in a rabbit hole of just how many different ways she's depicted and how many different ways she came into the, the story. But she is often depicted as horrible, villainous, and the word witch, you could just put a B in there, bitch. You know, all of the the itches that women have to kind of, you know, own as as titles and labels. But through the myths of Avalon, not only she but her sister Morgos and these other sort of auxiliary characters that are rich with metaphor and rich with energy. Marion Zimmer Bradley did not compromise the complexity of any of these characters. There are There is so much balancing of me, uh, masculine and feminine energy. I read an article by a radical feminist and really just so interesting, you know, where she kind of dives in, where she diverges. But this idea that we can take an archetypal bad guy, the villain, tell the story of how it could have happened in a real world, you know, suspension of disbelief kind of real world scenario and see how someone becomes who they are, how the traumas of their lives have, you know, guided the people they're, they're expressing themselves outwardly in the world to be, which doesn't necessarily mean who they are on the inside, because we know what it is to be wounded. We know how we react when we're over hungry or overtired or, you know, dealing with, with soft, vulnerable traumas of our past or present. So to be able to tell the story with nuance and with you know, cause and effect with causes and conditions, you know, it, there is no, no absolute good and bad to be had. Yeah. Going back to the dark and the light, the shadows and the brightness, day and night, all of these different energies and how they show up. I tend to, when I'm not feeling a hundred percent, is gravitate towards one of the oldest feminine energies, which is the Mother Earth, Gaia. Um, I thought you were going to say chocolate. <laughs> and chocolate. And I know. I mean, I could probably fill in nature, Mother Earth, as every other word you say, but I was thinking chocolate. Uh, you know, chocolate ice cream is one of my favorite things. And, uh, you know, although I try and eat well all the time, I can honestly say that there are very few days in my life I have not eaten chocolate ice cream. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It is my go-to snack. So, all right. In addition to chocolate, there's also <laughs> Mother Earth. And this morning while I was being feeling overwhelmed by the amount of information I was reading and this balancing of energies, I decided that I just needed a walk in nature. So in order to and I'm training to walk for longer periods of time. So I physically filled my backpack to go on a walk that's less than a mile from my house. And I filled my backpack and put it on so that I would be able to carry the weight. And there's something about carrying the weight and what we carry with us on our back that both physically and emotionally just sets me up for the experience. So. I've adopted this practice of coming to the threshold of the forest and pausing to know that I want to enter the space uh, that is sacred, but I want to enter it quietly and with respect to all the other inhabitants that are there. So I pause at the threshold and out loud, I tell the forest why I decided to come for a walk. And today I said, I am feeling a little out of sorts. I would love to be able to understand 
the shadows and the lights. I would love to be able to feel comfortable looking at my own shadows. I'm confused and a little sad, and I'm not really sure what direction to go in. So please show me. And then I quietly stepped in and went for a walk in the forest. And what I found was there was an amazing balance of shadow and light. The trees are still filled with leaves, although some of them were falling. So I was able to look at that, but there's still a full canopy of leaves in the forest on the trees. But the sun was shining brightly too. And what I really began to catch, what captured my attention was the rays of light that come through the shadows of the forest. And there was no exclusion from the shadowy places in the forest. They didn't say, hey, get out of here, light. And the light didn't say, wow, you're really interrupting me with all of those leaves on your trees. Could you drop them a little faster because I want to bring more light into this space? The two existed together harmoniously with different places that were completely shadowed and other places that are dappled between the both and others that were in bright sunshine. And this one part of my walk really, really captured my attention. I did not know why at first, but I bent down in a really shadowy area and pushed aside some of the leaves. And there, growing out of a fallen tree, were the most beautiful mushrooms I have ever seen in my life. They were bright yellow with red, dark red centers. And under the darkness of the shadow was these vibrant colors that were just so incredibly unexpected. And the reminder that shadows are transformational and out of the shadow grows something we never, ever expect to see. That's really beautiful. If you were to look at that story also, not so much from shadow, but from darkness, the dark yin, very kind of down to the ground, cool, those elements, and moist, the, the moisture that is required for mushrooms to grow. And we can talk about mushrooms being from aliens anytime, but there's, you know, my husband's really into the fact that there's no earthly reason for mushrooms and that they had to have been dispersed by aliens, but we can get to that another time. But this idea that feminine energy from the darkness, from the night, from that, even though it was daytime, there's this feeling of shrouded in, in canopy of leaves. I love that image. It's just so beautiful. And that from under this dark spot is this uh, maybe nourishing, maybe poisonous. I don't know what kind of mushrooms they are. I have a friend who forages and oh my God, she'll like post these pictures of, she calls it chicken of the forest, those big mushrooms that grow on the sides of trees and she cooks them. And I'm thinking to have the confidence now, the male energy to be able to go out and see something in nature and the female, the feminine energy of intuition to be able to say that's safe. We can eat that. We can be nourished by that and to be able to balance. And I don't even know if that's it's an apt metaphor, but this idea of balancing in nature and being able to forage, forage is a male. You're going out into the world to do something. But then the feminine energy of stopping, of pausing, of receiving what nature is offering, and then the balance to be able to feel confident enough to say, yes, you and I are the same. I can take you in and you will do me no harm. Nature is a great, great teacher. But while I was out there, there was one other thing that was so important to this discussion. I found where the fairies live. There were all of these little huts made out of sticks and leaning up against a tree with pieces of leaves and debris put on his roofs. I'm sure they were made as part of the summer camp project, yeah. but they all had a door to open where you could go in and sit inside this fairy house. And once I started looking for them, I had to continue to make sure I gaze the landscape to find the fairy home. So <clears throat> some of them human constructed, but also if you look down at the roots of the trees, or the lower parts of the trees, there's often these little hollowed out holes. And they often have kind of a, a door shape to them. And maybe that's where the fairies come in and out. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Now, I don't, I have so many practices in this theme, 
that I'm just thinking maybe, you know, recording practice is another time and, you know, creating some kind of offering to you, the listeners out there. But the one thing that keeps coming up, when I first started dating my husband, one of the first things I asked him was, do you howl at the moon? I may even have offered this another time before, but I'm doing it again with the theme. Sometimes the intention matters. You know, last time, I don't know why I would have offered it, but thinking about your wild woman inside, this even if you're a guy, like you're listening, you're like, ah, I like this podcast, even though I don't know that they're always talking to me. But tap into that feminine energy. Tap into the wild woman inside of you, whoever the fuck you are. Go out on a full moon, and I, they come by at least once a month, I think, <laughs> and go outside and howl. Howl at the moon. Howl without abandon. The first howl may be awkward. The first howl may be something like, oh you know, just kind of testing the waters, dip your big toe in. You know, the, the moon affects the tides. It's very watery. So dip that big toe in. And then maybe the second one is a little bit louder and it's, oh, and you're kind of feeling that energy rising. Maybe by the fourth or fifth time, you're like, oh, and getting it out there. I had to move away from the mic. But so, yeah, get out there ground yourself feel if you want if you feel comfortable in bare feet in the cool grass or the warm grass get out there if you're not put on thin shoes or some layer get out there on the earth ground yourself maybe crouch low first and rise up use your body use your voice use all the tools you have and just freaking howl at the moon man as many times as you want and if you are thinking gosh i can't wait to howl at the moon or you're thinking uh, I'm not really sure if, you know, I can go out and howl at the moon. I want to remind you that on Tuesday, November 8th, there is a full moon. And at 7 p.m. from 7 to 9 p.m., Sherry and I and a whole lot of amazing women are going to be gathering as part of our Rhythm and Rhyme retreat at Snipes Farm once again for a full moon ceremony. And I imagine there'll be a little howling going on on the moon that day, on the farm that night <laughs> with <laughs> other think? things with <laughs> other Rachel, oh i can't please wait don't miss it don't miss it come on out <laughs> yep go we'll put it on our the show notes but go to our website anecdotalanatomy.com you can email us anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com if typing out anecdotal it it fucks with your head because it does with mine sometimes the d and the t get a little you know turned around you know, slow down, type it out slower, anecdotal anatomy, and um, find us. We're going to be doing some really fun things, and Rhythm and Rhyme Retreat is looking to be a really very cool experience. There'll be plenty of ways for you to click that link on our on Instagram and Facebook and show notes and, you know, all the other great places. And for whatever reason, if you want to share all of your stories about your feminine energy, um, anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. We love hearing your stories. You are divine, our friends. So stay divine. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos.